0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Froak. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigalski And oh, man, you got to listen to this episode. I-, I thought we had been tactical in the past ones, but literally, you will probably get 48 actionable email takeaways from our very own Jeremy Donovan, the SVP of sales strategy at Sales Loft. Nick, why should people listen? Look, I'm not usually a big
1: fan of the data because I feel like a lot of salespeople use it as an excuse just to like not actually do work, but this one blew me away. Jeremy talks about tactical, actionable things you can do today related to emails, subject lines, voicemails, what to say, when not to say things in voicemails. He talks about cadence structures, listen to this episode, and then hit pause, rewind all the way back, and listen to it again. It was a really fun one. Let's hit it.
0: Three, two, one, the data.
1: steal them. All right, Jeremy, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. Let's get your three.
2: All right, I'm ready to go. So I I do need to set up a little bit, which is right now we're seeing a transformation right in the way that people prospect their customers. And version one was, hey, this is Jeremy. Sales Loft does X. You want a meeting? Version two is they look at your LinkedIn profile and they say like, hey, I saw you love cats. Sales Loft does X. Do you want a meeting? That's already not working, and I'm being a little facetious with the cats, but insert whatever it is. And then I think where we're headed is that we need to start doing what people have been telling us to do for decades, which is to actually add value in every touch. But since you guys like tactics, I like tactics, the question is, okay, yeah, everyone says that, but how? So here's my three ways to do that. And there are more than three. The first is, I'll call it peer introductions. So, provide a, you're working with a prospect, introduce them to a true peer. And that true peer may or may not even be a customer of yours. It's not meant to be burning a reference, it is legit hooking them up with someone smart. Somebody did this for me recently, hooked me up with a super brilliant RevOps person named Remington Rawlings. You should get Remington on the show. And like, that's huge value for me. So, that's tip one is, is peer intro as a way to add value. The second one, is, I'll call it secret shopper. And the first time I experienced this, I was out with one of the reps in a prior company and we were prospecting a clothing retailer. So the night before, she went out and decked herself out like in all their stuff. And when we showed up at their office, she was head to toe clothed in their stuff, which is, and then she was able to give them feedback on their retail experience as she walked in the door, as she was helped, as she went through her purchase. So, you might think that doesn't apply in, in B2B, but it absolutely does. Take if you're selling to salespeople, I could hit the demo request on your website, benchmark your inbound response, and then say, Hey, you know, I hit your demo request. I benchmarked how long it took your folks to get to me. I benchmarked what they said and did. I'd love to share those insights with you and see if maybe we can help you. Who's not going to take that meeting, right? So, be a secret shopper. That's number two. And then the third one, and I'm, I, these are in order of increasing effort and complexity, but also increasing impact. So the third one I'm going to call be a strategy consultant. And I don't, I'm not saying go all, all the way to McKinsey, Bain, BCG. But what I'm saying here is, and this is another one I, I was talking to Remington uh, about yesterday, which was go in, prospect three, four, five individual contributors and say, hey, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm just I think we have something to help your company with. Maybe you throw them a $25 Starbucks gift card and you learn from them what challenges they struggle with as it relates to your solution, but just more challenges in general. And then maybe you do that with the next level with the managers or the VPs and then you go to the the you know the decision maker and you say, "Hey, I talked to 4, 5, 10 of your people. They told me these are the challenges that you guys are working on. Some of the things are ones we can help with. Some things are just things you should be aware of, and maybe someone else can help you with them. They're going to take that meeting too. So there's your three peer peer intros, secret shopper, and be a strategy consultant. Any one of those three, and there are millions of other ways to really truly add value. And so should I be doing this stuff in place at
0: scale instead of doing my traditional look at the company, look at your LinkedIn and find
2: your cats? Or how do I actually operationalize this and do it in a way that doesn't take me forever? So I think if you're prospecting an SMB where you have effectively endless supply of potential customers, maybe just keep your emails super duper short, under 100 words, just get right to the point. And if they're interested, they're going to engage. You don't even have to do the extra work. And then I think on the other end of the spectrum is where you go through these progressively higher value things. If you've got 10, 20, maybe even 30, 40 accounts that you're going to be prospecting in the enterprise space, you have to do these things because your engagement rate on, you know, I see you went to this XYZ school, go Gators or whatever, that just, you're going to get a 0% on engagement on those things. Jeremy, you made this comment about the
1: 100 the word length keeping the email super short. And I know you look at a lot of data around how people should be opening emails, how they should be ending emails, what subject lines should look like. And so I'm wondering if you can give us some of the quick hits at what the data is saying around best practices for email. And I know this is general.
2: Yeah, that's okay. Maybe I'll like go through the email from top to bottom. So I'll give you quick hit actionable tips here as well. So let's start with the subject line. Uh, subject line: Use one a one word subject line. Maybe two words is the most effective subject line. People ask me, "What's you know what is that magic word?" And the magic word most often is your own company name or word. Sometimes you have a two word company name, and then they'll say, "Well, what if my company is not well known? So what?" In some ways, that's even better because it it raises curiosity. That's your best subject line. Then, if I get into the like the greeting, if you will. The reason I named my podcast "Hey Salespeople" was because we did some data science, and it turned out that "Hey" was the most effective greeting. That is wearing off over time, so it's time to maybe start mixing that up and A/B test with some other ideas as well. But "Hey" has been has worked quite effectively for a while. The why there is because before everyone started doing it, it's novel, right? It's unexpected. It's friendly, without being. It's neither too formal nor too loose. Sidebar is if you're prospecting into a region where that isn't said, you know, you want to use the regional, regionally appropriate one. On the email body, yeah, definitely keep it short. 100 words up thereabouts is, is pretty good. The shorter, the better. Just think the average person probably is looking at your message on their cell phone. So, like, keep your paragraphs super duper short keep your email super duper short. Don't write it like those silly LinkedIn posts. That's like one sentence, space, one sentence, one sentence. That's, that's just irritating. But just keep it keep it super, super tight. That's intuitive, I think. And I think that's an evergreen thing. Here's one that's super counterintuitive. is uh, This is like in data I trust, right? So a lot of sales pundits out there talk about that everything should be you focused, right? It's all about you. And we actually ran the data and it turns out that emails that are excessively you actually have lower response rates than emails that are just basically balanced. So my feedback there is don't sweat the IU ratio. Anything that's just all I is bad. Anything that's all you is bad. Don't force it. Just write the way you would. So actually, you do want an IU balance in your email. So don't be afraid of the word I, even if it's the first word in your email, like, I hope you're doing well. Interestingly, does right now, you know, in the COVID era is, is doing well. Don't mention COVID, by the way. That's a killer. It crushes your reply rates. It's, people are just, they don't want to, you know, they might talk about it in casual conversation, but they don't want it their emails. For the, oh, let's see the closing. For the longest time, the best closing was actually best. I had used regards for, you know, I'm an old dude. So I had used regards for uh, my son. I used the word dude the other day. He's like, dad, my son, I have two of them, twenty-year-old and the seventeen-year-old. The seventeen said, "Just don't ever do that again." So I'm an old guy, old man, I guess. And I was using "regards" for a long time because that's what I learned back when I was in in college from my probably my faculty advisor or something like that. And I reran the data recently, and the number one closing is actually "talk soon." So it's a little preemptive. "Preemptive" is the wrong word, but like you know, it's it's a little uh, presumptive. That's the word I was looking for. It's a little presumptive. But it, it's effective. So try talk soon. Jeremy, you mentioned being surprised
1: by some of the insights that you were talking about in the email body. I'm wondering if there's anything else that you've seen in the data where you're like, whoa, was not expecting that.
2: Yeah. Another one that was a recent finding was we looked at how people end their first sentence. So should you end your first sentence in a period, an exclamation mark or a question mark? And so it does turn out that the exclamation mark is the best. (laughs) Uh, The exclamation mark is the winner. When everybody starts to use exclamation marks, then prospects will numb them and they'll know that's, that's a garbage email. All these tips, right? I think it's important to think about which of the tips are things that are really core human psychology and unlikely to change over time and I think the like the short emails are that way the IU ratio I think is that way I think the the other stuff right like is because of novelty but the barrier is is exactly what I said which is as soon as everyone's doing things the exact same way the prospects who are on the other end of it say uh oh filter 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 and get rid of all that stuff the other counterintuitive one that I ran recently was There have been a few email graders that have been introduced recently. I've seen the data. I've seen the hundreds of millions of emails. And this one scratches my head. Do you want your email to be positive, neutral, or negative?
1: I don't think I want it to be positive because I feel like a positive sentimented email is like, we're really going to help you. We can help you get 50% more leads. A negative one is like, oh, did you know that COVID's here and the world's ending and we can help your business not die. I feel like neutral is the way to go. You kind of balance it with, hey, here's a potential pain. Here's where people are struggling and then here's how we can help.
2: So on this one, there's actually a a different answer, for interestingly, for the subject line versus the body of the email. So in the subject line, you're spot on. You want your subject line to be neutral. It's the same thing. It's that the BS detector is on. So if you're hyperbolically positive or you're hyperbolically negative in your subject line, it's just an instant turnoff. Again, you want to draft those subject lines the way you would draft it to someone inside your company. It needs to sort of to get to the brain in that way. In the email body, and this is the thing that drives me crazy with some of the things that are out there, is like people who are building some of these email graders make an assumption that positive is good, right? They're making an assumption. Uh, I assume nothing. (laughs) Uh, I need to check it for myself. So what I found was there's like this, there's like this V of reply rate. And the V is like this. Slightly positive is the average of the way most emails are written and that's the low point because there's nothing unexpected about it it doesn't sort of jar you one way or the other and then there's this v which is as you go more positive from there your reply rate increases up to a plateau and then it's like a it's a fancy v that has wings right and then the same thing as you go towards negative like towards neutral the reply rate increases. And then it basically, once you hit neutral, it basically flatlines. So even if you have a, a negative, mildly negative to medium negative email, right, which is not uncommon, people will talk about challenges or fears or this or that that are negative, Like that also is, is actually better. So there is this weird V that happens that you just want to be different. And I think that's also rooted in human psychology is like, you want to be off, it's a pattern interrupt, you want to be a little off the norm in order to get noticed. Every single solution, if you go to a lot of marketing pages, when it's done poorly, it's
0: all about, we optimize this, we save you time and money doing this. And those are all nice things, but you can't be perceived to be better until you're perceived to be different. And we talk about this all the time. You got to freaking make some noise. And if that's an extreme, this is the best thing ever, or an extreme, like your life sucks. That's a heck of a lot better than being a little bit in the middle. So I want to ask one more question about the emails themselves before we get into the structure of the cadence, because we haven't talked about that yet. Sure. And so one of the things we were having a hot debate about the other day that's been debated for years is, should I pull a list of 50 companies that are similar? and have a cadence that just says, oh, we work with you know many Sequoia companies. And it's semi-tailored for that category. Or if they recently raised a round, you can pull 50 companies like that and have semi-tailored like that and spend probably an hour or two working those 50 accounts. Or should I spend an hour or two working 10 and really going in and customizing those messages, especially if you have some green grass out there? And so have you done any analysis that can finally put the the fight, the debate to
2: bed around should I tailor my stuff or bomb the market? I don't think anyone will ever be able to answer that and the reason I say that is because it depends on what you're maximizing, right? So let's say you're trying to max I mean at the at the end of the day, right, you're trying to maximize LTV to CAC I suppose, right? Lifetime value to customer acquisition cost. So as I said earlier, if you're prospecting into SMB or micro SMB, like Horrible for me to say, but automate, right? Like, you know, we're we're sort of an anti-automation philosophy company, but look, we're gonna, but we do allow you to automate if that's the right thing for you to do, and and in those circumstances, yeah, you you're gonna automate it. If you have, if you don't have that many accounts, then you're gonna you're gonna hyper personalize. The example you used, by the way, was a good one, which is if you've done business with other companies that have a shared investor, that is actually a really really good prospecting strategy. So. I don't know if you bet to compare like a pretty legit prospecting strategy with an even better prospecting strategy. You were giving me the choice of two goods. And I think in that instance, you're probably fine with like, hey, we just we work with XYZ, who's a fellow portfolio company of Sequoia. That's a very effective strategy. And I don't think you necessarily need to go deeper on personalization if you've got that. Sometimes you don't have that and you have to do
1: better. So we've talked a lot about a single individual email. And what's been hammered into my head since my first day as a salesperson was it's not about any particular singular outreach. It's about the contact strategy, the contacts over a series of time. And so I'm wondering, what's the data telling you about the, the best practices for cadencing?
2: There's a few things, right? So it's absolutely the case that It's not about the individual touch. For those people who come from the marketing world, I was a CMO once upon a time, marketing attribution is incredibly difficult. And then I would say the exact same thing, I see the exact same thing now that I'm in the sales world where attribution to any individual touch is incredibly difficult. And it's just like advertising, right? In the old school advertising, it's, it's all about impressions. So as we've looked, if you run cadences, say with only one step type, so it's not only it's multiple, multiple touches, but also multi-channel. So if you only run emails, your response rate craters. It's like 85% lower overall cadence response rate. If you only call, same thing. If you only do social, same thing. So it, it is the mix that matters, and it's hard to attribute to any one touch. You know, if you leave a call, someone asked me earlier today. Actually, one of our uh, one of our customers asked me, "When should I leave voicemails?" And I said, you should leave three, in in any cadence, you should leave three voicemails one in the beginning, one in the middle, and one at the end. Everything else is a call, no voicemail. And when you do leave voicemail, you're not asking them to call you back. They're never going to call you back. All you're asking them to do is is to take a look. Hey, I just sent you an email with XYZ. If you're interested, reply back. Right? Like I want them to reply back via email. I, I would never, ever expect them to call me back. I also prefer, in some ways, I prefer the email back because what if I'm on the phone? Like I'm a salesperson, hopefully I'm on the phone. I'd rather them not get my voicemail where they may not leave a voicemail anyway. If they send me the email, I'm, I'm better off anyway. I've been battling this
0: one a lot is we have 10 to 14 touches over 30 days right now. One cadence has LinkedIn touches. So a LinkedIn invite and then a LinkedIn message and another doesn't. And we don't have a sample size and it's not apples to apples. And so I'm trying to figure out, is it worth my time to LinkedIn connect with everybody in my cadence, every single prospect I'm reaching out to? Like, have you seen Have you seen a, a substantial lift in open rates or reply rates when you're including LinkedIn or social touches?
2: So you hit one where I don't have a flawless data answer. What I, again, I, what I do know is that for each additional channel, you have a substantial non-linear impact. So yes, you want to incorporate social, but it's your specific question that I don't know the answer to, which is a connection request. There are other ways to engage people on LinkedIn than other than the connection request. So like, yes, the connection request is one. In-mails is another, although you only have a limited supply of those. So you probably can't do that for everyone. But there are other ways, right? Which is you can comment or like their content. And I think that's actually better. You know, We started by talking about value-added tips. And like, this is the same thing. It's like you always be adding value sending someone a connection request adds no value to them limited value i guess you could say you know you're expanding their their you know their whatever relationship graph but actually commenting on their stuff that adds value and maybe they're not all active but even and, or even if you don't comment them like what if you find a piece of content and just mention them right So, okay.
1: Speaking of LinkedIn, I I love reading your stuff that you put out there because you talk about data and best practices and behaviors to change. And you made a post recently where I was like, oh man, this was a bad habit that I got taught when I started. And you talked about how people will say, are you the right person who handles X and about what people should be writing or saying instead. And I'm wondering if one, you could talk about what people should be doing instead there. And then any other common behaviors that you think people need to change based on what you're seeing in the market.
2: This was a prior company I was working at. Someone prospected me. And rather than the the generic garbage, like, are you the right person? What they did was they sent an email. They wanted to actually get to me. So they sent the email to somebody else, a peer, actually a peer and my boss, funny enough. And they said, should we be talking to Jeremy? I would refer to this as like patient prospecting. Or there was a slow food movement years ago. I don't know if there's still a slow food thing going on. <laughs> it's like slow prospecting. In that case, like that's a much better way to do it. Because if your boss sends you something, then you assume it is important. Because I also assume my boss will filter stuff that is not important to them. Ditto with all the personalization stuff we've been talking about. 99% of everything I get is generic garbage. Like no one goes the extra mile I had a rep for the first time, challenger sale, right? Everyone talks about the challenger sale. In my entire career, I've only had someone challenger sale me two times. Once was a sales strategy consulting firm where they came in and said, we think you have these problems. They were wrong, but we hired them anyway for like a $300,000 engagement, right? Then the next time was about two weeks ago, A rep from Upwork. I'm a huge Upwork fan, monster Upwork fan. You know, Spinal Tap Eleven kind of evangelist of their of their stuff. And this guy only made it better, right? Which is, he's trying to upsell us. Great, but in the process of trying to upsell us, he came to me with five ideas, and like actionable, relevant ideas for what I do. So two t- I'm 47 years old. I've been working you know, for 26 years. In 26 years, it's happened to me you know, like two times. So no one does this stuff, even though you know you should. The last thing I, I want to end with is there
0: are some other controversial things that we talked about when it comes to cadence structure. All right. And one of the most controversial ones is the breakup email. And we're coming towards the end of the episode. And so what better way than to break up here?
2: Love it. What's your take on the? Should we do it? Should we not? Absolutely, you should do it. But it's how you do it, right? And I think it, it's a good way to pull everything together. Which is like there are these two things, which are the human psychology aspects that are evergreen, and then there's the novelty piece, right? So the breakup email works at, on the human psychology level because of obviously of loss aversion. Is here's someone who has loss aversion and reciprocity, which is like here's someone who has spent weeks of their time and 14 touches, whatever it is. Maybe they personalized, maybe they sent me some good content. Maybe they did some of the tips, or offered me a peer introduction or or secret shoppered me you know, or strategy consultant did me if that's, a, it's not really a verb, but I'll make it into a verb. Maybe they've been doing these things for me. So try to trigger out reciprocity and now they're about to go away. So you're triggering both reciprocity and loss aversion. So on a psychological level, it absolutely works. Now you just need to not shoot yourself in the foot in the process. You can use novelty as well. There was a time where option one, you're too busy, option two, whatever, option three, you got eaten by, a by an alligator. Like, there was a time that worked, but it doesn't work anymore, right? It just, it, it, it lost novelty. But do the modern, whatever, like evolve that over time into some sort of modern strategy of saying, maybe it's a, a gentler thing, which is, hey, I tried to reach you diligently 14 times. I'm going to give you a break now and I'll reach back out to you in three months or something. So, I mean, you're not triggering the entire loss and there's a million ways to do it. I mean, that's just an example. Or you can just say, I'm going, you know, you can make it firmer, which is like, I tried or whatever, or whatever it happens to be. but absolutely breakup emails do work. The highest response rates are emails one, the re-email to email one, which is almost as high, if not higher than the first email and then the breakup email. So
0: is it even worth,
2: I mean, my my fifth, sixth and seventh
0: emails, it feels like nobody ever replies to those things. And part of me is just wondering, like, if I just like,
2: like, do they need those so that it builds up to the breakup email or should we just have a four email cadence? (laughs) If I'm consistent with what I said earlier, I, I think you need them because, again, as you can't do individual touch attribution. It is the totality of the, of the touches. Don't annoy them. Add legit value throughout the process. You know, Again, you're building the reciprocity. You're building the loss aversion as you work towards the last email
1: all right, Jeremy, this was incredible. I'm learning, like, I'm breaking all of these old habits and you're talking to me about data. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm doing about 15 things wrong and things are still kind of going okay for me. So if I make some of these changes, I might have a good year. So I think it's time we got to move to the final question. And I think this will be good just based on sort of where you're coming from. We've talked about a couple things that salespeople believe and they, they should be changing. But our final question is, What's one piece of sales dogma that's out there that you think is complete crap and needs to be thrown right in the trash?
2: Yeah, I I think it is people's approach towards qualification and very specifically disqualification. You get a lot of sales trainers who say like, one of the most important jobs of a salesperson is to disqualify as fast as possible. I think that's complete trash because I've been on the receiving end of that where people, I can tell they are trying to DQ me I will not do business with them, even though, right, I have budget to do that. So yes, they will filter some bad people out of the funnel, but they're going to also filter a lot of people who get super annoyed by being treated that way. I I think you need to treat qualification. um, And this was actually out of that Andy White medic book that I was mentioning, like you need to treat qualification as a journey, not a one-time event. And so I think that's another piece of it is you're constantly requalifying, whether you use I think Bant and Medic and all the other things, I think they're all the same. They're just different terminology. But I think you're basically like qualifying constantly, not as a one-time event. And be really careful the way you treat people when you are just trying to disqualify them. Beautiful.
1: Anything else you want to plug before we hop off here, Jeremy?
2: No, I don't plug anything. That's my deal. I'm a I'm a
1: non-plugger. All right. Well, we're gonna do it for you. Listen, if you guys aren't connected with Jeremy on LinkedIn, he posts a ton of really actionable insights. And if you're listening this deep into the show, I assume you like those things. So go connect with Jeremy. Apparently, he accepts all those connection requests. Send him a six page novel about how you can help him get more leads and stick around. We got a 60
0: second recap from Armand coming up soon. top four takeaways from this episode with Jeremy Donovan include number one, under 100 words for your emails and one word for your subject line. And that word can be your company name. It's okay. Number two, slightly positive emails are garbage. Do not blend in, seek to please the world. You either have to be extreme positive or slightly or very negative. You cannot be perceived to be better until you're perceived to be different. Number three, you will get an 85% lower response rate if you are only using email, only using call, or only using social, okay? Even our lovely phone warriors out there need to send an email from time to time. And then number four, one great way for it to get somebody to take a call is to do some secret shopping. Go on their website, go find some Your Zoom Info Actionable Insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up.
1: Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes.
0: Something about their sales experience, whatever it is, do some secret shopping based on the problem you solve and literally put that in the email. All right, Nick, how can people help us out. People really seem to
1: like our playbook episodes where we talk about best practices for cold calling, how to be a machine. We did a fun one on negotiation recently, and Armand and I have been kicking around an idea. And that idea is to launch a YouTube channel where we do mini playbook episodes talking about your favorite phone openers, how to negotiate a contract, booking next steps, and all the best practices for how to do that. And so here's what we're asking the audience. One, if you think it's the worst idea that you've ever heard on this planet, tell us so we don't waste our time and just stick with the podcasting. Two, if you feel like it could be a moderately good idea, let us know what topics you'd like us to see cover in Playbook YouTube episodes. That's all I got. We'll see you guys next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes.